Welcome to The Art Show by Teapotcast with your host Milo H.G. Waters. This podcast contains mature content. In today's episode, I talk to Rhea Fay about her play I'm a Little Bit OCD and her work with Concept Theatre. But now, sit back, pop the kettle on and enjoy the conversation. Welcome one and all. It is my pleasure to introduce Rhea Fay, the Artistic Director of Concept Theatre and my personal friend, how are you and what is in your teapot? <laughs> uh, so in my teapot is Appetizer. What a throwback. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Ah, God, I've not had an Appetizer in years. I know. Cans, six cans, which is great. <laughs> very cool. All right. So, um, yeah, you're saying that uh, you've been working on a little short film at the moment. So uh, how's how's that going? And how does a how does a theatre company end up working on a short film? Well, so uh, I'm part of Concept Theatre Company, which was uh, formed by uh, my good friend, uh, Nee, uh, at East Dean, who you also know, and Eleanor mm-hmm. as well. And the three of us have been working together since then. And basically, it was a project that we started at the end of our time at East 15 and it was supposed to be a play however due to uh obviously COVID and the restrictions and things that we sort of it kept it was supposed to be last summer and obviously it got cancelled um and we thought as a company we just sort of wait it out you know like see when it would be possible and the longer that came we thought right this isn't working. So uh, yeah, Nee's written the script again as a film now. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It's all shot from the point of view of a young, uh, a young teenage boy whose um, brother unfortunately dies in a knife incident at a party. Mm. And he, before this incident, he was shooting a documentary for his summer school homework kind of situation he wasn't very you know um thinking of anything very uh specific to deal with or to um to deal with to uh, record but then as this incident happens it becomes his sort of way of coping with what's happened and he sort of we then see through his camera the aftermath of this event on the community and his family and the family of the uh the family of the victim but as as well we see a bit of the family of the person who committed the crime so yeah it's become a really interesting challenge to sort of try and change our medium up but I think that documentary allows us to do that in a creative way that isn't necessarily completely based around film technique and Mm. in that way yeah yeah no I get that so it's yeah because you because you're using the you know the the point of view shot all the time as as I think it's called in in film studies. Like if it's... <laughs> let me tell you, I've been going through those paperwork trying to find oh, those yeah. grids. Like, let me draw a shot. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, yeah, no, very cool. Yeah, so um, yeah, so kind of like how how did the company get together? How did you kind of come to to this subject matter and come to be making this this particular piece? Well, I have to be honest with you. So um, I, my friend Nee came to me as the creator and Eleanor was already on board and uh, we just wanted to work together. It's quite a collaborative company. So 
rather than like all three of us working on all the projects, it's more like having a support network. So we're all free okay. to explore topics and um, projects that we want to. But it's not just you doing it. You have the support of the company. You have the name of the company. You can ask the others to help you with, you know, applications or funding. So to be honest, uh, Kamari Jones, which is the name of the short film, is like an amazing script. It's in production at the moment, um, but it's not my project. So I am assisting on it. But yeah, I would say I wouldn't want to take any no, no. <laughs> for yeah. someone's work but yeah we is a collaborative uh, team effort and it's great really because obviously with acting especially at the moment there's certain times that you can really commit to uh, mm. a lot of acting work and other times where you've got to work another job to to pay the bills so with this company it allows us to sort of like really be involved with certain projects and then take a step back when we're needed to and someone else will take the slack as well yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it seems like a really cool, really kind of like contemporary way of uh, of running a, a creative company in that sense, you know, and I'd I'd imagine kind of, you know, as 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 you keep growing it and expanding it, that that network and that kind of support bubble to kind of use that term, um, you know, would keep expanding and, uh, you know, and you'd, you'd be able to put out a hell of a lot of content under that that company label but also everybody can feel like they've got the like you know the individual artistic freedom to do their thing but still feel like they've got that support behind them it like yeah i think it's a really really cool thing that um that you and me and uh, and everyone else have got going there like is yeah is that how you find it working for you yeah it's been really good like um obviously because i have the play that I started before so I've Mm. incorporated that into the company now and it's so much easier to do it with the support of other people and the advice from other people and also you sort of take on roles that you didn't think you would like with Kamari Jones I'm helping out with um, some of the shots because of the media work we did at East 15 and just like uh, some of the ideas but then I can take a step back and focus on my own project and allow it to continue uh, developing yeah. on it on its own so yeah it's been really cool actually no nah, absolutely so um yeah why don't why don't you tell us a little bit about that play that um that you you've now brought into the company because um i mean i'm like i'm a little bit familiar with it because uh we've not even said yet we we went to east 15 together that's how we know each other <laughs> um but yeah so i'm i'm a little bit familiar with that one why don't you uh, why don't you tell us about that play how it came about and how it's been uh bringing that into this this new company yeah of course so uh i started it at the old devising festivals i'm sure you will remember oh Uh, yes a little festival that happened in second year where we sort of got the opportunity to create a 20 minute play uh before then i'd never written anything i don't think uh apart from maybe a poem for english lit um GCSE, that's about as creative as my writing got. GCSE throwback. Yeah, (laughs) love it. Um, Yeah, so, but then I sort of thought, oh, I'll just give it a go. You know, it seemed like a lot of people were doing it. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I was sort of a bit tentative to uh, talk about OCD, weirdly, because I thought I talked about it a lot. But I don't think I did. Because when I started the play, people were like, oh, I didn't know you had OCD. And I was like, yeah 
technically I haven't got a diagnosis, but all the symptoms are there. So yes, the play, I'm sort of speaking backwards really, is called I'm Just a Little by OCD. Slightly yes. ironic title because uh, people tend to say that quite a lot. And usually they don't have OCD. Um, uh, <laughs> yes, I see, I see. <laughs> yes, you know, like maybe on TV shows, they talk about cleaning and things. And yeah, that was basically my biggest uh, wish for the play was just to educate people in a way that allowed them to really know what OCD is. Like, because mm. I, me, myself, I like to use humor a lot to deal with um, things I find difficult to talk about, but things I've experienced yeah, myself. But when the humor is coming from inaccurate information, it's quite different. It's like, Oh, I'm just a little bossy. It's like a joke. Oh yeah, yeah I've got OCD and people say it and you're like, but you don't actually know what OCD is because of the flippancy that you're using it and it's completely separate from that like cleaning or yeah. uh, being organized and that is quite I don't want to say oh, well could be dangerous in the fact that people who have it don't even know that they do because they associate the word with something that is completely different that- yeah I yeah I, t- I totally get what you're saying there because it you know it, it kind of on the one, on the one hand, it's you know, it, it, it's a turn of phrase, it's a slip of the tongue, it's not that important kind of thing. But when you start considering, like you know, it's like you say, if there if there is somebody there with OCD, but you know, hasn't hasn't kind of registered it, hasn't kind of noticed the signs because their only exposure to what OCD is is somebody saying, "Oh, I need to organize my." pencils by color i'm just a little bit ocd that way you know that kind of thing then it, it's like you know it's harder for them to kind of register it and uh and one thing i i kind of noticed it from uh um a while ago with was uh was depression and how how flippantly we'll kind of use that you know it's um Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna completely butcher this quote now, and I can't remember who it's from. But it's um, you know, it's an odd thing that we use the same word to describe how um, you know, a six year old feels when they can't play outside because it's raining. Um, we use that same word to describe somebody who literally cannot get out of bed and hasn't done for the past three days because you know they're they're just so much in that that ah i'm i'm so bad at talking about these things because i'm very aware that i know very little (laughs) no no but i agree like the confusion between like uh for example i personally haven't had any experience with depression but you could say the same for like anybody can feel anxious but it's very different Mm. to feel anxious than to have an anxiety disorder because when you have an anxiety disorder the anxiety is coming for an, either an irrational reason or it's coming all the time and it's interfering with your life it's not ha- experiencing an emotion and I think like you said it is flippantly used but um for one yeah if you if you have the disorder and you don't um you don't know you have it because of the lack of information and it's not like a bit I think most people well, I can't say most people I don't know that most of the times I hear it is in an accurate way it's not like the odd time yeah. it's most of the times so and then also people who do have it and are diagnosed it's it's um difficult if that's something that you find a challenge and something that is 
from speaking from my personal experience, one of the hardest things that I have to deal with in my own life is trying to manage my compulsions and um, anxiety. So then to hear it, some like I've said to people, oh, I'm, you know, I'm having a bit of a bad day. My OCD's flaring up. And they go, yeah, yeah, me, me too. Like I always have to do this with with my my books in a straight line. And I'm like, that could be a compulsion. Like that's the other thing as well, which is interesting, is that that equally could be a compulsion for someone with OCD. But the emotions that they would feel if those books weren't in a straight line, and the intrusive thoughts that come with that, and the consequences are on such a different level to like feeling annoyed that yes. your books aren't in a yeah. straight line so yeah it's it's weird yeah. it's a weird one I th- anyway i'm rambling yeah. i mean i think i think you've explained that in a much better way than uh, than i was trying to that like there is there is a difference between um you know a kind of passing emotional state that you know we maybe go through whether that's you know feeling anxious or feeling sad or feeling um you know frustrated that things aren't lined up properly there's a massive difference between that and something that can actually you know be diagnosed by a psychiatrist and you know has a lot of research and treatments and all, all the rest of it behind it so why you know and and you were saying that um one of your main goals for the play was to kind of educate people about this so could you could you tell us a little bit about how how your experiences with OCD kind of influenced you in uh in making that play and kind of how um how you've kind of achieved that you know in in bringing in in educating people about the subject yeah of course so like educating obviously was a big part but i really did want to do it in an entertaining way not like a yeah. this is ocd sit down and listen to me speak at you so i like yeah. humor is a big 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 part of it and i think because of the way i experience my own uh, mental health issues i always like to use humor um yeah, to deal with. Well, that. it is. I mean, it is such a such an important tool as as humans that we use to cope and deal with things, don't we? But I think it's, you know, it's very easy when you like, especially when you feel like you don't know much about a subject, to be really tentative about, you know, about what is what is helpful and productive humor that's that's you know helping people to to you know cope and deal and things and what's unhelpful humor so i think yeah bringing bringing that into into the play and not just having it as a as a you know this is a lecture about ocd or whatever yeah, you know is, is a so much better way and because don't get me wrong like it is an awful awful condition like um and not to so it's varying levels for different people you know there's people who haven't been able to leave their house or can't t- physically touch people for years because of the anxiety that that brings them luck luckily for myself it's not at that kind of level but um but there are other times when I will get an intrusive thought that is so absurd that I'm like oh my goodness like I, I actually have to laugh because what on earth <laughs> like my, yeah. sometimes it will send me into a spiral of anxiety sometimes I think you've got to try harder brain sorry because that is not good enough <laughs> um <laughs> so yes sorry to answer your question yeah I just for me I I used to get a lot of um so I think I've had OCD since I was five um is my earliest memory of it and a lot of I've had sort of a lot of the types like um 
I used to do like be obsessed with contamination, washing my hands and germs. Um, and then that kind of moved on to like counting and rituals and things. And then I got a lot of like uh, quite horrible, intrusive thoughts about um, quite violent things or things that I would never wish to do but my brain would try sort of like be like what if you did this what if you did that and that what if would spiral into mm. a lot of like self-doubt and worry so this was something I was going through but obviously um we're a similar age and I don't know about your school experience but mental health was something I never heard of like I was known as Rhea the warrior Rhea who worries all the time it was more of a personality <laughs> trait <laughs> like yeah I sort of had this ongoing joke of my family that wasn't really a joke but every day I convinced myself I was like something bad was gonna happen or that I was gonna die and literally I'd go to my dad and be like dad and he'd be like Rhea you're not gonna die like that was his response <laughs> for like and but at the time it wasn't something that was it wasn't the same now you can't really even compare it um and so I sort of found out I had OCD because I was looking it up for a play I did at college. <laughs> all right. And I read it. And before that, I, I all my intrusive thoughts have been very hidden, never spoken about them. Like I thought I was a horrible person who had these really like disturbing thoughts. And I read that one Wikipedia page. Oh, my God, it was the biggest exile of my life. I was like, this is it. It was like yeah. someone had taken the responsibility away from those thoughts that I thought were mine that I thought belonged to me even though they contradicted everything I believed in and even though they gave me such anxiety I still was like well they're my thoughts so I must be mm. responsible for them um yeah so I read it on Wikipedia that was cool um, yeah. not a reliable source <laughs> disclaimer oh yeah wouldn't recommend um but it was quite a good page actually that time and then I was like oh and then I still didn't tell anyone about it and then I sort of it morphed into what it is now which is hyper responsibility moral OCD so I obsess over moral situations like if some if I've done something wrong or a mistake it will go over and over and over to an obsessive level um mm. And I didn't recognize that as OCD because, as we said, I thought OCD was when I used to wash my hands a lot or when yeah. I used to count things. Um, I always remember that Friends episode where they're, they're like randomly in a museum and someone stands up and is like, I have to switch the light on 10 times else my family will die. And it's like a flippant comment where they were releasing like personal information. And I was like, I mean, that. Uh, it was weirdly a quite an honest, <laughs> I mean, not, yeah. not the best thing with no information or explanation. But when I heard that, I was like, oh, like, I've literally had that mm. thought. Um, so mm. what was I saying? And, yeah, you you asked me a question because I've gone right off that time. <laughs> <laughs> that's, hey, that's all right. Like, that's what we're here for, man. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I can, I can see why sort of, um, you know, Getting, getting the word out there is so important with something like this because it's like, you know, if you're like... I guess it is that thing of, of being able to recognise that, you know, thoughts going through your head have, have an origin point that isn't, you know, necessary. Your thoughts do not define you is, I guess, what I'm getting at is a very important thing for for everybody to learn but particularly when those thoughts are you know intrusive and and you know really 
anxiety inducing like you know i need to switch the light off 10 times or my family will die like you need you know you you need to educate people so that they can recognize it as that's what it is kind of thing god you know yeah like they can and i think i don't know this is like maybe we can look this up (laughs) but i think the average time for people to get help after they first get symptoms is like 10 Mm. years it's something mm. so long because either they don't know they have it or the intrusive thoughts are about a topic that is like, you wouldn't want to say to someone, oh, I just had this really weird thought that like, I mean, I don't mind going there, but um, like <laughs> I'd see a knife and be like, oh my God, I could just like stab my mom. And I'd be like, what? Mm. Just intrusive thought means absolutely nothing. Literally just comes into your mind, pass it off, you know, um, and that one thought I'd be like does that mean I want to does that mean I could does that mean and all these questions would arise and I think the most interesting thing actually is how many people who don't have OCD have come to me and said that's really helped me deal with just like what an intrusive thought is because an intrusive thought isn't linked to OCD it's something that everybody experiences the problem is with OCD you latch onto it analyze it obsess about it yeah I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it seems to be uh, for me that it's like, it's not like, I wouldn't say, and it, you know, I, I shouldn't need to say this, but obviously I'm not an expert on any of this, so don't take my word on it. But like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not aware of anyone with OCD who's like displaying behavior that is like fundamentally just like not human, not right, totally weird at all. It's just like they're, they're getting really you know obsessed or or compulsive oh obsessive compulsive there you go um (laughs) about (laughs) you know about about really minor sort of aspects and you know if that starts you know if you get to the point where you can become obsessive and compulsive about a thought that's you know just passing through your head that must be a very you know a really difficult and confusing and you know just really really strange place to sort of live in if you can't if you can't recognize it as such but you're absolutely right that we do all have you know we all have strange thoughts and you know thoughts that we'd rather not have and you know this that the other and it is as as I said earlier I think it is really important for everybody to recognize that your thoughts do not define you um yeah definitely and I think like I I do agree that sometimes it is minor, but sometimes the thoughts can be like, for example, at the moment, I'm sure a lot of people with OCD also, but myself included, get a lot of thoughts like I've had times in my life where I've worried that me going to a nightclub with a cold, someone might get it. And then that person might know someone who is elderly. And then that person might. And my brain literally from me going to a nightclub with a cold has ended the night with I've caused someone to get seriously ill because I went with a cold and shared a drink with someone like that thought process is, is something I've already done and mm. now that's a reality like you, you these things that actually are dangerous but the fear the emotion the anxiety is the same as when it was irrational and completely oh okay that makes- well that's yeah see I mean yeah that's that's really interesting actually so sometimes it can be quite like yes definitely sometimes quite minor things but sometimes mm. quite quite big things I mean there's as many um intrusive thoughts and topics of OCD probably as there are people with it but yeah mm. it's very um interesting it's just worth noting as well that the 
So the, usually the cycle of OCD, obviously everyone's different, but it's, you get an intrusive thought or, or you, you get like an impulse or an image that comes to your mind or a feeling that something isn't right. And that causes the emotion. And then your brain, I imagine to try and help, but I don't know, creates mm. the compulsion to relieve you of that feeling. So the washing the hands, the counting, the asking for reassurance is your brain's way of going, God, you feel really anxious and scared and guilty. We need to fix that. Uh, if you say this three times, the feeling will go. But the more you do it, the stronger that bond comes. So ah, okay, yeah, that because cycle. you reinforce that behavior and that compulsion. So And then the more thoughts you tend to get because... Right. Yeah, so it's it's very um interesting, but obviously what we see of it is just usually the compulsions, the washing or the not the yeah, the and then it's yeah, and it's and it's very easy to kind of like dismiss or write that off as you know oh he's just a clean freak or he's just really organized or you know she's a warrior whatever it is, but you're not like what you don't see is the the from the sound of it, extremely stressful kind of thought process that's that's going on there. And uh, yeah, I think that's why it needs to be recognised. And uh, and just to, to bring it back to the play again, because, um, you know, I think uh, it's like, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, it's like, I think we want to, you know, we want to increase education about, you know, these things like, you know, whether it's whether it's OCD, depression, anxiety, yada, yada, all the mental health stuff, because it's like, you know, if like if your leg's broken, it's pretty obvious. There's no there's no kind of two ways about it. You know, same if you've got a cold or or whatever. But mental health is it's a lot less obvious. And, you know, particularly with young people, I think it is really important that, you know, both teachers and guardians and you know children and students themselves are you know are aware of these things and can kind of pick up on them because you know going through 10 years just you know feeling like your your head is just weird and nobody can do anything about it you know you say it was 10 years before um you know, uh, from from showing symptoms to getting diagnosed for uh, for the average, um, like that seems you know ridiculous in a society like ours. And I think I think doing it through um, you know entertainment and particularly live entertainment, performing entertainment, because you can really engage people. You know, they're in the room with you; they're more inclined to focus. You can ask questions, you can get responses, all the rest of it. I think it is just such a good way of doing it. So, um, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, what question am I kind of winding my way very slowly <laughs> to? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, uh, could you like, yeah? Could you could you tell us a bit about kind of how you, I guess, how you depict OCD in? in the play of course yeah yeah so it's gone on a bit of a journey from the old devising festival it was very like it was great no disrespect Mm. i loved it but it was so many ideas and i think because we did world performance in my head i was like it's not interesting unless it's like everything we'd learned (laughs) if that because i was like there's gonna be a mask there's gonna be some movement there's gonna be some acting there's gonna be a song like and i put so much into it that it was it was hard it was quite 
looking back, quite demonstrated. Like, this is what OCD is. Here you go. In an entertaining and a light and a humorous way. Um, mm. But as we've sort of developed the show, we've we've taken a lot out. It's much more simple and it's much more the story mm. of this sort of two people. There's one who, like yourself, is a podcaster now. And hey. yeah, yeah, she goes on to do her first live show, uh, as some podcasts do. And someone in the audience is uh, someone who has just been diagnosed with OCD. And we sort of see the podcaster in a very light, humorous way talking about her experiences with OCD. Lots of jokes, a bit of audience participation. We do this great, like, I think it's like play buzz. I don't know. I don't know if we're allowed to even say that. I know it sounds a bit weird. <laughs> it's a website <laughs> for games, just to clarify. Um, and it's sort of like a how OCD are you quiz. Uh, and it's like okay. pictures of spaghetti, you know, or like lines that aren't straight. And it's like, mm. and then I think there's this tagline that just really wound me up. It was like, I bet you know some people who are more OCD than you. Send this to them so you can laugh at their expense. It was like awful. <laughs> like that well yeah one of those things that goes around facebook by sort of people who aren't really thinking it through i guess yeah and like can you imagine like god it's awful you just would like it's a medical condition it's like a joke quiz anyway so we do the quiz as an audience as a sort of ironic thing and then as that goes on it's broken up by tilly who's in the audience we see her experiencing the symptoms, the themes that the podcaster does, but in a real way. So we see it first as a sort of joke, as a, not stand up, but that kind of, you know, mm. personal audience connection. Joke yeah. the way. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you see the inner turmoil of somebody actually dealing with it. So it very much goes from like funny to, oh, wow what on earth to oh this is hilarious oh now i'm doing a quiz oh god this girl is in complete turmoil and has no idea what's going on um and she's sort of supported through her relationship with her sister till the end and then it finishes the show ends so yeah it's the way we sort of wanted to just to present it has gone very much from showing what ocd is to Mm. in a way making the audience not feel like they have it because that would be impossible but we have intrusive thoughts that come over the audio very suddenly as if okay if yeah. you were somebody with OCD you know I could look at something when I was younger I don't so much get this anymore but I could look at something and the worst thought to do with that theme would come straight into my head or a horrible mm. image it could be anything like if I was watching a show about uh, serial killers I would get like a horrible thought about wanting to do something vital like for example, I don't know, something like that. Anything yeah. could be a trigger to that intrusive thought. So having the audience just suddenly hearing that and being like, what, where did that come from? It's trying yeah. to like give that feeling yeah. of... Yeah, I get Yeah, I get that. I, and yeah, I think that's... Uh, yeah, I think that's really cool. That's kind of what I was... Yeah, what I was wanting to get at is, I guess, how, like, you know, what kind of, what kind of techniques were you using to kind of convey um the the reality of living with with ocd like yeah yeah that sounds like a really a really good good one like yeah it's interesting and i think with the therapy as well like we visually see tilly go through her therapy um mm. 
and we hear the intrusive thoughts and with the, with the therapy it's a lot about um stopping the compulsions so you purposely bring on your intrusive thoughts and then you just sit there and do nothing and the more you do that the less the cycle has power so obviously that's such a simple simple way of describing it um but to see somebody doing that to basically like purposely making themselves feel so anxious so guilty and to just watch that on stage on a bare stage is quite I don't know mm. yeah it's, it's no I can yeah I, I can imagine that being very I mean I did see the show so like yeah but um like yeah I can imagine it being extremely powerful like and uh I wouldn't want to I say mean, that not to <laughs> I think the actors are amazing but I don't want to yeah. make my directing sound it's just it's interesting to see it yeah. stripped away no absolutely yeah <laughs> and I mean um just uh yeah I'm cu- I'm curious about the acting as well actually now that now that you mention it cuz uh, cuz that is a real um like I mean that must be a very very tricky thing to sort of to be asked to do as an actor like could could I could I ask you a little bit about how um you know how how your actors kind of dealt with um you know um um taking on this what am I asking here? How did your actors deal with uh, with showing OCD, and how how did you kind of keep them safe while they were doing you know really difficult scenes like like you've just said about the you know the therapy and deliberately bringing on the uh, the anxiety and stuff like that? Just yeah, could you tell me a little bit about the the kind of acting process behind that? If I'm not putting you on the spot too much no no of course so like um as a as a cast we um we worked really closely together we had a really open dialogue and obviously if anyone felt uncomfortable or wasn't really feeling it we could um mark things through i'm sure as you know as an actor sometimes you don't really want to delve into the <laughs> nishy yeah. brittle rule um but yeah we we just we sort of had lots of discussions we really talked about the topics uh, and it was a very creative devising process you know we worked together mm. um and I think that really helps with something like that because if it's it, it, I think if it was me sort of being like and now this is going to happen and now you're going to feel this and now this is what it it wouldn't be as powerful I don't think whereas because we sort of came up with and created like I came to the group with two monologues that's all I had both of which Mm. in some element are in the play but the rest of the play came from our discussions our chats about the subject you know research uh, improvisations all of that so I think it was sort of to answer your question many many different ways but definitely having that open dialogue and being able to trust each other of when yeah. to say, uh, you know, maybe not today, or um, or how about we try this? All these kind of different things. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that's so important when you're, um, you know, when you're getting into really, you know, re- when when you're asking your actors to to p- portray a really, really, uh, you know, difficult and uncomfortable emotional state, but but also when you're when you're just dealing with a you know, a potentially uncomfortable subject or, you know, a subject that a lot of people uh, don't know about. It is it is really important to create that atmosphere where people feel, you know, safe and valued to to raise questions, raise opinions and, you know, feel 
confident to say, okay, no, I'm not quite up for that today, or I need to do a bit more research. We need to take it kind of step by step. What's the safe word, you know, <laughs> like whatever it is, but you need to, you need to have that, that kind of rapport with your actors, don't you? I think, you know, we've like, you know, we there, there's enough, enough stories of bloody, you know, method actors, you know, driving themselves to suicide or extreme depression or, you know, all all the rest of it because they're going through these, you know, really psychologically irresponsible techniques and the director is just telling them, yeah, do it, go for it, yeah, more, 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 more. And there's no kind of, you know, there's no... Do you feel safe with this? Do you feel comfortable with this? What can we do to get you to a place where you are safe and comfortable with this? And I think that is just so, so important in, um, you know, in what we do in in both theatre and film. Yeah, Um, I agree. I think even taking it to like, obviously feeling um, safe. I've never been a method actor. I came into drum school, as you know, as as a dancer who couldn't sing anymore and was like, I'm going to go and do acting. And I literally didn't know any of the... I could tell you 20 ballet terms, but I didn't really know what a unit was. So, um, yeah, so I, yeah. I've never personally experienced that sort of intensity of, of method acting. But I think just... I, I think we're getting, hopefully, to a place or I hear a lot more conversations about acting, yes, is an amazing career. Yes, you know, you have to work hard if you want to achieve. But... For me, it's not the be all and end all. And it can't be. Because if it doesn't work out, it can't. And I think there was, I don't know about you, um, but when I was, I sort of had this idea that I had to put everything into it and it had to be my life. And it had to be, you know, I had to be practicing all the time and I had to be um, doing this, not so much in a, in with the director and in, in an intense way like that. But I think it, it, when hopefully we'll get to a place where it is like, it's a it's a job and it, yes it yeah. can be your passion and your absolute drive but if it i think if that becomes too much so like i don't know if i'm making sense I, do you know what yeah, i mean no i get i yeah i totally get what you i really try you and mean. keep it as like a i love acting but i need other things in my life to fulfill me as well yeah. it's i mean it's you know uh, i think it's you are you are not your job at the end of the day, you know, you're a human being that needs, you know, love and attention and distractions and something to do on the weekend, you know, and all of this stuff. And like, you know, there are like there are people out there who who find something as a skill, a trade, a passion, whatever it is. And that's that's just it then, you know, that's just the rest of their lives is devoted to this this one thing. But they are few and far between. And most of us, we need balance in our lives. But I think, you know, so much of um, a lot, a lot of performance training, and it's definitely not just acting, I, you know, I mean, I think, well, you, you'll have more experience on this than me. But like my my experience of like dancers and musical theatre people especially the ones that have been put into like uh you know like specialist schools not just youth theaters but um like you know sort of like specialist like extracurricular schools to learn mt or or 
whatever it might be from a very young age, they really do have this pressure put on them of you need to get this right. Otherwise, you're a failure. You're worthless. You're going to stack shelves your whole life. And by the way, stacking shelves your whole life is a terrible thing that means you're a failure. And, you know, we also have this with like with university, you know, a lot of people feel mega, mega pressured to go to higher education, whether they want to or not, whether they're doing a subject that they care about or not, just because we've been told this, you know, it's just so inbuilt in our culture, in our society, that you are, you are defined by your, you are defined by your occupation. And if you can't do that occupation, then you are a failure. Or, you know, if there is anything taking priority above that occupation, you're a failure. And it's just so, I mean, for one, it's it's just, I mean, it's, it's old fashioned, it's harmful, it is really, really harmful to people's, you know, just health and well-being. And uh, yeah, I think we do need to move past that and, and just on the on the the other thing you said that yeah i would really love it if we could get to the point where acting dancing entertaining whatever it is is a job um and at the minute it seems like you're either on the extreme of it's not a job at all it's a hobby that some people get paid for or it's not a job at all it is life it is my all my everything and i am nothing without it and, and it's think, like yeah it's interesting isn't it because everyone is quite different i think for mm. for me i used to feel like that that i i i sort of used to think that if i don't make it and i look back and i didn't work really hard then that would be why whereas yeah. if i did work hard i could say oh well i did everything i could if that makes sense yeah, but I think I mean it's just it, it, for me personally. I think a balance is definitely good because at the end of the day, I love acting to bits. But in a couple mm. of years' time, if it hasn't worked out the way I want, then then I'd love to be like, but I was happy, you know, like like you said, stacking shelves. I've worked in the co-op. My dad works in the co-op. He yeah. he has his own, you know, community manager there, and he loves people. He's been doing it since he was sixteen. If that's what makes you happy, go for it. But I think what you said really ran true for me is that when I was younger it was very much the success ladder you know yeah like West End being the top and then touring and then maybe like I wanted to dance on cruise ships and I I, I sort of like had these really high expectations and then I realized that yes that is amazing and goodness knows if somebody offered me the West End tomorrow I would jump in there but yeah. if I'm enjoying performing at a local social event or at a school mm. or whatever I'm doing me enjoying it is the reward, not me yeah. reaching this place or this ladder that I've created of sort of a hierarchical jobs that I see as... Do you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I absolutely know what you mean. And I think um, that, that, that phrase that you used earlier, um, make it, like, have I made it? Am I going to make it? I think that just kind of... I think that indicates how built into us this this idea is that like you say every every job every career path has a hierarchy you know whether it's you know like small community theaters to um cruise ships to touring to the west end whatever it is there is a hierarchy and you always want to be climbing that hierarchy and you know because that means 
I don't know, you're better, you'll be happier, question mark. Like, you know, it's the West End is a great place for some people. And, you know, part of that is because they demand such a high standard and a lot of people really thrive off that. But it doesn't mean everybody does. It doesn't mean everybody has to. And, you know, I think uh, I think we really do have to get past this idea that, you know, you you need to to always be climbing for the sake of a goal that somebody else has put on you. Yeah, um, that's the truth. Yeah. Hey, all about truth here but at the... I think the that's so, guys. like, relevant to all life, isn't it? Like, mm. I, I hear so many... <laughs> love podcast me um and yeah. you listen to a lot of celebrities who have this sort of um you know they they reach that that made it stage and they mm. realize oh still feel the same or like there's still yeah. feels like there's something missing and i think that that for me is is it's like explaining the whole thing that you, it, it's the love of what you do rather than the success mm. it brings you obviously this yeah. is an idealistic thing. We all need to pay the bills. We all need to make money. Well, and that yes. is the way. Yes, I can't be like, oh, I'm just going to do free work all the time because that's what I'm passionate about and I love. <laughs> Sadly, that is not the case. But I think getting that balance and allowing yourself to to not feel like, like for me to be happy is the end goal rather than for me to be yeah. happy as an actor who is successful is the end goal. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like and and yeah, and also, you know, it's it's how you define success. Not everybody can be on the Hollywood A-list at one time. Like there isn't enough room. And, you know, but not being on there doesn't mean you're not successful. You know, you define I guess what I'm getting at is you define your own success. Yeah. And if success yeah. to you is, you know, being the number one star in the West End, you go for it. It's a hard gig, but you go for it, man. But, you know, if success to you is like, um, like, you know, I'm, I met a, a cruise ship performer recently and she loves it. Like, you know, she loves this life of, you know, she goes to different places. She's meeting different people and she gets to perform all the time. I mean, like, and that's um, enough for her. That's plenty. That sounds like I mean, a definition. That's a hard of- job to get to. Very yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I think, yeah, like amazing. For, but that sounds great. Yeah. That's that's one I always used to wish to have, but yeah, it's amazing yeah, that you do get all that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Milo. No, not at all. No, no. I was like, oh yeah, you still love that. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I guess the only other thing I have was uh, you. You just reminded me of uh, of my my favorite Simpsons joke, just because I think it's so true and so relevant to creative professions, which is. Um, I've I've achieved every rock star's dream getting sick of being famous and it's like you know I think there is I think we live in this age where we have the whole illusion of celebrity has been shattered yeah because you, you know it's like we we live in an age where anybody can have their 10 minutes of fame if they want to you know you can get on big brother love island youtube whatever it is if you really want to have your five minutes of fame you can get it one way or another but at the same time we live in a world where you know we've seen so many celebrity suicides celebrity breakdowns celebrity you know depression drug abuse you know all this type of thing and i think we're we're becoming more and more aware that this isn't 
that's not where it's at, you know? If if that's your if that is your goal, if your only goal is kind of celebrity wealth money, you might get there, but you're gonna find it very fucking hollow when you do. Like I think it's you know. such a difficult place to be in, isn't it? Because a lot of people mm. who do for example, like we we both actors and we love it and sometimes when you like it must be amazing to get those roles, but what comes with them is such a difficult you know, you can't, if you take, for for example, if you took to a different career, if you got the best promotion you could get, it mm. would be a mostly positive experience, I imagine. But for me, for my, for just imagining myself, if I got into a Hollywood movie, for my acting and my love of the craft and the, mm. the amazing sets and the people you'd meet would be amazing. But the fame, you can't choose to be in a blockbuster Hollywood movie and not be famous. Yeah, you can you can not do interviews and you can not do that. But I imagine a lot of it's in your contract to go around doing interviews and you know, in interviews they're trying to get information on you, they're trying to get that story in, and that's that's um, I've never thought about it like that. That actually, what a difficult decision to make. If now, like you said, there is a, a lot more celebrities being really honest and really vulnerable about the the issues of being famous and um, and what that can do, that what that can do to your mental health and your mental well being, and but then to want to still progress in the career and the art mm. you love is that's such an interesting sorry. <laughs> I'm just well, yeah, out loud. No, I think I think you're totally right there. It is it is a real dilemma, and I think I think the uh, the issue with letting letting other people or, 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 you know, just old traditions kind of set your definition of success for you is that it's, it's always a trade-off. Like, you know, I, I decided I didn't want to, you know, really go down the film acting route because I, I can't be asked with the whole audition process, basically. I can't be asked going to 12 auditions a day and sitting in a room with, you know, 60 people who all look exactly like me doing the same script over and over. Like, it doesn't it doesn't appeal to me. And I don't want to be a major film star enough to do that. I mean, when I was a kid, if you'd asked me, do you want to be a Hollywood film star? Yes. You know, when I grew up a bit and realised, oh, that's, that's what it comes with. Mmm not really worth it to me and there are other things that you know i find potentially even more rewarding and you know the the payoff to them i'm more willing to accept or it or you know it isn't even a payoff to me because like you know lots of people actually like the audition experience i mean well i i don't know maybe they do a lot of people do it so somebody must enjoy it like but um you know what I mean? I think it's uh, we've got to be honest about these things, and um, we've got to be honest when we're when we're teaching and educating, you know, our children, students that this is this is what it's like. It's not just a straight line to success. There are many ways to define it and branch off. Yeah, definitely, and I think this year especially, like, because this is the first mm. time in how long that you know, I not so much now, but at the beginning of lockdown, you know, I was an unemployed actor, but probably Judy Dench was an unemployed actor. Like <laughs> so every everything came to a halt, didn't it? And yeah. um, and I think that 
I always thought I was very prepared for that sort of rejection. I am quite good at taking rejection. If I go to an audition, I sort of feel like I've got it. Not because I have, but because I love just being hopeful. And secretly, I know that I probably haven't, but I'm like, yeah, I've got this. (laughs) Just as my sort of coping, I guess. Um, But it is hard. Like... You know, I, I wanted to be a musical theatre performer for years and, and that wasn't a, an easy road, uh, like, smoothly. I went to college, did A-levels, I had a gap year. I got into places that only were privately funded, didn't get a scholarship. Then I got into a foundation course I couldn't afford two years in a row. Then I had a gap year. Then I got into musical theatre school. Then I lost my voice. I had to have an operation. Then I went into acting. There was three years of that. So I was like, oh, I can do rejection. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm turning yeah. up to uni as a mature student. I've been rejected from like 12 drama schools for the last four years. I'm here. Then I graduated and I was like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> like, it, it does take itself, especially when you sort of, you. I, I didn't realize that a lot of the time you don't even get a response that's what's quite hard yeah if you actually get an audition and you get rejected yes that's difficult but you've got to do what you love you've got to go to the audition you've got to perform obviously i know you said you didn't love it but you know you get Mm -hmm. so you feel like okay i wasn't right for the part and they know that but when it's such a i don't know if saturated is the right word but such a competitive industry a lot of the time Mm -hmm. you're sending your cv and headshot and so's thousand other people and you're almost not dismissed because obviously these people work really hard and they can't spend like 72 solid hours looking at everybody's profile but you're sort of not even up for the role before before you've even done anything that's quite difficult I think it's it's almost a full-time job just applying for acting work isn't it yeah no definitely yeah I mean that's you know that's I think that's what people who are who are considering getting into acting really need to understand that most of your job if you want to do this for a job day in, day out, is applying. Yeah. It's applying for things and then going to auditions. And doing like, that self-tape after an eight-hour shift at Tesco and you really can't be asked to do anything, you just want to eat dinner. But that could be the role, so you've got to do the yeah. self-tape. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, bloody hell. I mean, we have, we've covered so much there and... Uh, yeah, it's been great. So we we are coming up to about the uh, the hour mark, and I usually stop around there. So um, just to wrap it up, um, is there anything about um, uh, just to bring it right back to the beginning? Um, anything about kind of concept theatre um, or any of your other work for that matter that you want to leave us with, or or anything that's coming up that you'd like to promote? Yeah, of course. So, uh, yes, Kamari Jones is in production. I don't really have much information on that when it will be ready as far yet, but keep your eye out. You can, oh, I've never said this before. I'm so excited. You can follow us at Concept Theatre uh, and Instagram and Twitter. And um, yes, I will be doing a Zoom version, lockdown friendly um, version of I'm Just Up OCD, raising money for OCD Action and OCD UK, which are two national charities. Awesome. So if you're interested, come along, yeah. buy a Zoom ticket and see what we've been rambling about for now. <laughs> It'll be different because it's on Zoom. <laughs> but yeah, that's all Absolutely. really. Well, yeah, and and I'll put all of the links to to those things in the description, and uh, maybe when your your Zoom thing is happening, let me know, and I'll uh, I'll bung it on the Facebook page and things. So uh, so if any of our audience want to join in, they'll have a, a 
direct invite kind of thing. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you. No problem. All right, cool. Well, um, yeah, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, as always. Um, that is about time. So if there's nothing else, um, I'll say goodbye. Okay, I will see you soon. Well, I'll probably hear yeah. you soon. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, dude. Thank bye. You. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Art Show, brought to you by Teapot Cast and hosted by Milo H.G. Waters. Until next time, take care and take it easy.